0: Welcome. This is Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the editor in chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. This is the next in the series of editor in chief podcasts. I'm thrilled today to welcome Stephen Chen and Peter Kahn from the University of Texas Anderson Cancer Center to discuss their manuscript, which is currently in the print issue of the JNAS and online as well. Their manuscript is entitled Perfusion Guided Endovascular Superselective Intraarterial Infusion for Treatment of Malignant Brain Tumors. Welcome, Peter and Stephen. I know Stephen is doing an, uh, an emergency case and uh, is between cases, so he is uh, kind of joining us on the fly, but will contribute when he can. At the outset, I'd like to deliver a sponsor's message. Rapid Medical pioneers adjustable intravascular tools that offer physicians expanded capabilities without compromise between safety and efficacy. So if you are looking for your devices to do a bit more for you, solutions such as Tiger Trever 13, the smallest thrombectomy device in use, adjust to the vessel, allowing you to relax tension of the device prior to retrieval. For more information, email info at rapid medical.com.
1: Again, welcome, Peter and Stephen. Well, thank you, Dr. Burkirky, for the invitation.
2: Yeah, two two bleeds came in this morning, so I'm uh, stuck in the OR right now. If I was going to be in my office.
0: All right. Well, good luck, Ted. Thanks. So, this manuscript uh, in particular describes Uh, a novel technique in terms of the treatment of malignant brain tumors, which we know have had uh, really a a terrible impact in terms of their prognosis on patients. And the endovascular treatment of these tumors is really now starting to evolve as a potential uh, weapon to actually mitigate the, the prognosis of these tumors. Uh, so, Peter, again, thank you, but can you just briefly summarize what was the impetus for starting this uh, study, and what were your particular goals?
1: Sure. There's the actual study that we published here, and then there's the bigger kind of trial. So I think, Philippe, as you outlined, the impetus for the whole therapy is that we don't have anything that works well for this these malignant brain cancers, and we've always felt that, you know, uh, as you know, arterial therapy is not new. People have been doing it for decades with different kinds of agents. So we thought that the intra intra-arterial route was a good route because these are uh, faster uh, tumors, uh, but we thought that the agent was not correct for a long time. So this is really in collaboration with Dr. Fred Lang, who has been working on a biologic therapy, you know, for two decades. And this is kind of like merging the therapy, you know, uh, to delivery to hopefully create a, an effective therapy. So that's kind of where we started. And for this particular perfusion guide infusion, what prompted this is because when I started doing this for I, I thought that, well, you know, these are very vascular tumors like glioblastoma, as we know. I, I thought on the angiogram there'll be a huge blush, it'll be easy to see. I mean, you'll be easy to see what, what the pedicle is, and we infuse the pedicle. But it turned out that after kind of surgery, reduced surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy, almost exclusively, these, these tumors do not have a blush. So even though, you know, you may know by, by anatomic location where the parent vessel is supplying, is but if you want to be very super selective to pick out the pedicle that supplies the tumor entirely, I think that you need a different technique like this that we describe here. So that's really the impetus behind kind of coming up with a new kind of profusion or image guided delivery technique.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point, Peter. And these these tumors can have very differing angiographic appearances. And specifically, you mentioned those that have had prior treatment, including radiation and chemotherapy, which certainly modifies the angio-architecture. So can you briefly describe this technique and, and the image fusion? You do go into it in uh, pretty intense detail in your manuscript, but perhaps you could give us a little bit of a you know, a quick summary as to how you developed this technique.
2: Yeah, so uh, yeah, impetus was uh, the really poor survival rate of a uh, recurrent GBM, right? Uh, so the median survival is only one year and uh, unlike, unlike the rapid advancements we've been seeing in brain aneurysms, strokes, and even other cancers, it uh, just hasn't changed despite us trying to treat uh, GBM for uh, for decades, right? So one of the potential benefits of intrathecal therapy is we get a much higher concentration of the uh, therapeutic agent into the tumor bed and maybe limit the uh, systemic toxicity of the agents. And uh, of course, this is wh- why we give uh, Melflin uh, to the uh, op- you know, ophthalmic artery or retinoblastoma because of the high toxicity of the drug, the blood-retina barrier to chemotherapy. And uh, of course, intratural uh, gets over some of these hurdles. And uh, it's already also been shown in the liver that uh, the local treatment outcomes are much better the more selective you are with the infusion. And like Peter said, uh, the G- glioblastoma is very hard to see on the angiogram, very hard to see angiographically since they will have a strong arterial vascular blush. And uh, also the fact that, uh, as we also can see the liver from uh, our body, our colleagues, the uh, actual pedicle you infuse, the you know three-dimensional map of the infused area is actually much more complex than can be appreciated on the 2D image. So if you can get a 3D image of the uh, infusion, then you can see a much better area of infusion.
0: Stephen, can you discuss the uh, the treatment paradigm specifically the workflow that you uh, describe in Figure One? You mentioned you know throughout the manuscript that the time intervals are quite short, but you know we work in in hospitals and and reality can sometimes be uh, a bit different from that. So if you could explain the timing of each step. And you know the software needs and availability at treatment centers.
2: Sure. So uh, realistically, uh, when I see the case has been looked, booked, uh, usually Peter uh, lets me know that we have a case that's upcoming. Uh, I look on packs for, uh, for the patient's brain MRI, and uh, it's typically very nice at Anderson. They already perform volumetric acquisitions on at least one sequence on the brain MRI. And usually the post-contrast um, time-of-flight sequence, they uh, fire volumetrically, but occasionally you'll have a volumetric flare sequence as well, and some other sequences, if it's a research protocol. So you need these isotropic uh, images in order to do uh, 3D recons on the MRI, and uh, it actually you know, proves infusion because the uh, coronal sagittal recons are, uh, are much better. So uh, we go ahead and push these images to the cath lab, to the workstation that's basically a uh, part of the angio uh, machine. And uh, I usually do this ahead, a day ahead of time or several days ahead of time. So I can walk over and double check to make sure the images are there. And then at least with the Siemens, um, you can go through and look at the images and uh, do something called reg- reg- segmentation. So segmentation can be a little tedious. That's where you trace the tumor, where you think the tumor is based on the flare or contrast enhancement. You can do this ahead of time. So that saves you time on the day of the procedure. And uh, when you segment it, uh, it gives you nice pictures in 3D of the tumor on floral if you need, need it. So uh, on a data procedure, then you basically start with a 3D DSA of the carotid. So uh, you know how much time it takes to do a 3D DSA, which is usually pretty quick on the newest machine, the 3.8 second acquisition. So uh, you set up for a 3D, and you, you actually don't even need to push the B-plane out on the newest Siemens machine. You can just spin it with both A and B-plane in. Then that gives us enough data to fuse the MRI to the patient's uh, location on the table. And it gives you, an, obviously, a 3D map of the blood vessels that you can use or choose not to use. And uh, then you navigate to the pedicle that you think is most likely to give you a good uh, infusion for the uh, tumor location. And then you do a microcatheter uh, 3D as well. So uh, typically, we'll have an SL10 in the uh, location close to the tumor. And then we'll do a, a contrast injection, usually at one cc or half cc per second. And the duration of the injection is, you know really has to depend on how uh, how you think the infused area is, right? So you have to infuse as much contrast as you think is going to fill the uh, area that's infused. And also, depending on your uh, your machine, the duration of the injection is based on how long it takes to acquire, right? So on the newest machine, again, it's a 3.8-second uh, spin, so maybe a five or six-second contrast injection. And then you have a um, 3D perfusion map that you can fuse to the MRI to really confirm that you have the tumor uh, infused well. Did you want to add something, Peter?
1: Steve, a great, great summary. Uh, The only thing I I would emphasize that that the key is the microcatheter 3D that you talked about, Steve. Like we do, you know, one cc uh, per second injection of five seconds just to perfuse the, the tumor and the parenchyma, then we give a seven-second delay so that we can get really get a parenchymal or tumor, tumorogram, you know, um, from that before we do the 3D again. So I think that's really kind of the unique part about this is really the segmentation before the procedure and also kind of doing a 3D through the microcatheter to generate this perfusion map or, or parenchymal blood volume gram.
0: So you're specifically targeting, I assume guys, the enhancing portion of the tumor and that enhancing portion of the tumor, you're basically theorizing the blood brain barrier is disrupted at that area. So that is the highest yield uh, embolization pedicle. Is, is that your rationale?
1: That is correct, Philippe. The good thing is uh, also people ask about, well, people say, well, you know, the enhancing portion of the tumor is one part, but we know that the flare signal and the tumor goes way beyond that. And I think this kind of goes into probably subsequent uh, discussion is that here we use a biological therapy that replicates. So here our strategy is, like you said, to infuse in the part that's the highest yield with the biggest kind of bread brain barrier breakdown and get into a tumor. And once we get into a tumor, or that part of the tumor that is with leaky vessels, then the, the therapy itself can replicate and then kind of replicate and divide and then then spread through the rest of the tumor. So, that, so that's kind of like our theory and thinking behind that, Philippe, because otherwise, if it's, if it's not a biologic, but it's just a chemical or chemo agent, then I think the strategy maybe needs to be a little bit different. But I think here, like you said, we just target the kind of low-hanging fruit, the, the, the place of the maximal kind of blood-brain barrier destruction, the enhancing portion, then let the therapy kind of multiply and divide and spread through the tumor to the non-enhancing portions.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, perhaps you guys can discuss a bit the Delta-24-RGD agent and why you think that this is a, a particularly good drug for IA delivery. Peter, you just touched on you know, the potential for this to replicate in non-targeted cells. Um, ha- has this been done experimentally? Um, and yeah. um, why, why is this a particularly good agent here?
1: Yeah, so, so Philippe, uh, I guess I'll, like, I'll take a few steps back. Let me just kind of go through what the therapy is. So the Delta-24 virus uh, is an adenovirus, so it's a common cold virus but it's engineered specifically to be uptaken. And replicate in human glioma cells, so' it's a cold virus is engineered for for this purpose only, so it itself is a great therapy for brain cancer, but intrateral de- delivery is not so good, so we know that we we really can give naked virus in the blood vessels so you get viremia and other problems so here uh, our strategy is actually you know and and this kind of goes beyond the paper because here we just talked about delivery, but the strategy is actually like a Trojan horse kind of strategy, so we we basically have this therapy that's highly specific for human brain cancer cells, but we are packaging it in, in the human mesenchymal stem cells that goes, you know, to the tumor, that homes to a tumor when, when it's delivered intraarterially. And, and this is borne out from many different experiments, Philippe. So we know that human mesenchymal stem cells in general, when you give it intraarterially Goes to area of injury, so for example, strokes. You know, get home to strokes to to other kinds of cancer. So we're basically doing this Trojan horse kind of approach. Where we're loading the the stem cells with the with the virus, and using the stem cells to deliver the virus to the tumor. So basically, the stem cells would cross the blood brain barrier, get into the cancer the virus lyses the cells and then starts to attack the cancer, replicating the cancer cells and lysis cancer cells and uh, like, and so forth. So I guess it's really a combination. So I think the therapy, Philippe itself is specific for glioma or glioblastoma, but it's not great intrauterially to be delivered. So that's why we couple that with the mesenchymal stem cells, which is the carrier for delivery.
0: Thank you for that explanation. Uh, So you described specifically two cases here in which this uh, therapeutic modality was employed. Can you give us a bit of follow-up, Peter? How how have these patients done? It's now, I assume it's been several months.
1: Yeah, sure, Philippe. So so this study actually is going now for three years and we've done 18 patients now. Now we haven't I'm blind to like the study and look at the results, but I, I, I think this will lead to a subsequent discussion point about complications. So of course, the the most kind of fearful complications is one of a stroke. You know, So we actually, every patient who undergoes infusion, we, we do them awake so we can monitor them ther, uh, during the therapy real time. Uh, and also we get MRI, 24-hour MRI, afterwards, and also a two-week clinical follow-up. And so far, we haven't had anyone with a clinical, you know, a stroke after 18, 18 patients with the infusions, you know. Excellent. Peter, I love
0: the, the terms radioembolization and endovascular neurosurgical oncology. And this 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 paper I really view as kind of a, a precursor of things to come in, in this field and yet another novel niche uh, in interventional uh, treatment, but uh, what what do you see are the next steps in creating this subspecialty? Obviously, there's a ton of scientific work that needs to be done, but uh, what, what else needs to be done in the endovascular field to, to make these treatments uh, a viable option for patients in the future?
1: I think one, one main thing, as we discussed in a recent editorial, is really the, like a model. You know, I, I think still we don't have a great model to, to study intra-arterial therapy for brain cancer. So you're asking us about preliminary work, you know, so we've done a lot of preliminary rodent work, Philippe, where we kind of inject, um, you know, mesenchymal stem cells with L24 into rodents with human brain cancer. But of course, the animals are too small, so it's not really done with microcatheters. We basically do a cut down and we inject it with a needle. So so I think we're really lacking a, a sizable model that can really uh, recapitulate, you know, the human uh, scenario, because we want to test the therapy of the human catheter setups, you know. So I think that's that's one thing that we have kind of thought about and uh, work on. Stephen, you want to supplement that?
2: Yeah, sure, Peter. I agree. We, uh, we definitely do need uh, good animal models so we can test for new therapeutic agents because I don't think, you know, obviously we found the perfect therapeutic agents yet uh, other than glioblastoma, for retinoblastoma. I don't think we have the perfect agents yet, even though there's kind of a consensus on uh, what people are using. So um, for myself, uh, I'm also working on the a, uh, a rabbit uh, retinoblastoma tumor model, so we can do more uh, more research uh, on the proper agents and techniques, so uh, we can improve uh, the types of therapeutic agents uh, that that we use. But uh, more than just finding the therapeutic agents, you're asking uh, what what is the next step? I think uh, you know, as people who are you know pure interventionalists, uh, uh, I find that uh, you know working here at Anderson. Uh, you know, I think we, in general, we need to be more involved in the tumor boards and uh, work of our surgical oncologists, our medical oncologists, um, and uh, be in close co- collaboration with them to uh, start active clinical trials. Uh, I mean, for instance, that's something that's missing within the retinoblastoma field, uh, since uh, there actually were never any active real clinical trials for intrauterial retinoblastoma therapy. And uh, thus, there's still a lot of controversy in the field among ocular oncologists. What the best way is to treat these uh, these kids, right? You start IV chemo first. You start internal chemotherapy, first, and there is absolutely no consensus. Because there never was a randomized trial. So um, the trials and the basic science that we need to be done uh, needs to be done you know, in collaboration. And uh, of course, um, we need to get involved in the oncologic societies as uh, as interventionalists, so we can truly uh, you know advance this field of uh, endovascular and neurosurgical oncology.
1: And I and I think, Philippe, uh, you know, Stephen mentioned the the kind of collaborative model. Uh, we talk about the animal model. Of course, another thing I like I think you touched on, on your question is the opening of the blood brain barrier. I think I think that's actually another very important kind of part of moving this forward. But even though we we try to deliver it intraterrially, kind of bypassing the first pass effect. But the truth is that I think you know, like a big part of it would have to be opening up the blood brain barrier. People use it as you know try mannitol. I think that's that's kind of like our next step in our um, study is to try to do that, you know, with intra-arterial focal in local mannitol administration. We can use focused ultrasound. So I think that would be another uh, big part of Philippe is really how to open up the, the blood-brain barrier to increase, to increase delivery. Um, and of course, also agents. You know, I, I think... Where we have made incremental progress is that in the past, people have done it. The problem is that the technology in terms of catheters were not there, right? People were infusing it very approximately. So now we have kind of really sophisticated microcatheters and go with distally. So I think this whole concept of super selective infusion is born out of the catheters that we use for AVMs and things like that. So I think that's one big advancement that allows us to be where we're today. And secondly is the agent. I think the chemo agents in the past are way too toxic, has a lot of kind of toxicity to to normal brain, even if we give it super-selectively. But now we have um, kind of biologic therapy, you know, that really targets the brain cancer cell only and leaving normal cells behind. Uh, and really targeting that and the, the therapy itself can replicate and spread within the cancer. So I think the cath technology is there. We need better therapy, we need brain barrier opening, and we need better models. And of course, collaborative work with scientists, with, with, with interventionalists, and, uh, and with oncologists.
0: Yeah. So in your study here, Peter, there was no effort made to try to disrupt the blood-brain barrier, correct?
1: Yeah, correct. So, so Philippe, so this is a, um, you're asking us about like the data originally too. So we have done it in rodent. And it, so interestingly, when you give this, when you just get the stem cells, it doesn't work, obviously. You just get the, the, the virus intrauterial, it doesn't work. So it's only the combination that worked in animals. And so this is what kind of led to this phase one study. So in this study, Philippe, all we're looking for is is dose escalation and safety. We're not even really looking at efficacy, even though I can say that, that we have a few long-term survivors, but we, this is Really not designed to look at efficacy, so and, it's, and it's certainly not blood brain barrier opening. So we're kind of looking into that now. Um, perhaps the easiest way I like uh, is with the manitol uh, local infusion, you know, as the first step to to open the blood brain barrier. But of course, as you know, there are other other methods of of doing it, and I and I really think this will be like the next the next step to to try to increase the efficacy of the therapy.
2: Peter, I see. it was one of the advantages of using a Delta twenty four is the blood brain barrier is not really uh, an issue with the viral therapy. All right, that's so. Uh, it's more of an issue with chemotherapy than uh, the viral or uh, or immunotherapies because many of the viral immunotherapies actually get through the blood brain very easily.
1: And, uh, and, and Philippe, and also to kind of supplement that and to kind of explain to our audience too that the, another advantage about this therapy, Philippe, is that there are two ways that this therapy works. One is, of course, through a direct tumor lysis. So it, it basically replicates in the cancer cells and it breaks the cells. That's the first part. But afterwards, it, it kind of generates immune response from the host so that the, the host response is really what kills off most of the tumor. And in fact, when we did it in, in, in animals and in, in, in mice, when you give it on one side, it even works on contralateral tumors where we don't, where we don't infuse a carotid at all because of the kind of host-induced uh, immune response. So this is a pretty widespread response. So it's, it's interesting. So it's a long way of saying that we really want to have a therapy that you can give little and focus to the enhancing part of the tumor so they can get in. And once it gets in, it will mount a maximum response to wherever the tumor is, because we know that the tumor cells goes well, well beyond even what we can see in MRI, you know, for, for, for example.
0: This is very exciting work, guys, uh, and I congratulate you on this manuscript, again, entitled Perfusion Guided Endovascular Super Selective Intraarterial Infusion for Treatment of Malignant Brain Tumors. It has been published in a print issue of the JNIS and is also online. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Philippe.
2: Yeah, thanks for the invitation.